of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 219. Jason Lingren is with me. We're going to be covering Mr. Henry Kissinger. Uh, one might say that in the political realms of our world, or the cesspool of our world, he's a bit like Bernays, Edward Bernays. He's like the Edward Bernays of politics. And uh, I don't know whether the guy's a vampire or what, but he's still kicking. Every time we talk about him, everyone says he's not dead yet. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning to you. Dude's in his 90s, right? Mid-90s, something like that? Yep, he was born in 1923. So do we have anything we want to add? Uh, I am like getting so many videos from particularly Canada. My heart goes out. Uh, It's hard to gauge whether some of them are staged, but uh, a number of them feel real. Quite an astonishing thing. Some of the overreach and the total lack of humanity by some of the police officers being filmed. Yeah, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, and man, this is not good. It's almost, you know, how do how do people so quickly forget what they learned in grade school? Uh, you know, if someone came to their family's homes doing what they're doing in another family's homes, I don't think they'd be happy about it. So how is it that people are so easily trained away from something so obvious on the face of it? Uh, why would I do this thing if I wouldn't want my family treated in this way? Uh, the bill will come due on this. Uh, when when humanity gets surrendered at this level, the bill will come due. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of us will pay that bill. But anyhow, uh, do you have anything before we jump in? I do not. All right. Let's uh, talk about Mr. New World Order himself. I think he might take offense to that because he is indeed a doctor. Well, he's 90-something, so I, I'm <laughs> guessing the offense will be slight, but who knows? Maybe he's aiming for two, 300 years. I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me. There is a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of the world. And that is a quote from Henry Kissinger from 2007. So, bit self-righteous as we see all over the world right now. Uh, who the hell are you, Mr. Kissinger, to inform the entire world that we need a new world order? I, I would suggest that you're not God, and I would suggest that any authority derived by policing institutions, governing institutions, is supposed to be derived from the people. Uh, I can still recall growing up where every police vehicle said to protect and to serve which has now been changed. And this is part of the upside-down problem we're all about to face. Henry Alfred Kissinger is an American politician, diplomat, and geopolitical consultant who served as the United States Secretary of State as well as the National Security Advisor under both the presidential administrations of Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. And as we shall see, he did a heck of a lot more. Oh my, it's, you can't even start to cut. There was a period of time when I was probably even before my twenties, when all you heard about is what Nixon and Kissinger and these guys were doing. And I was in a punk rock band and we ended up writing a song called Deng Ping, which was all about Coca-Cola and Nixon going into China for the first time. Little did we know where all that was headed. Uh, now we do know where all that headed and Kissinger was right in the middle of it. Heinz Alfred Kissinger, because that's his actual full name, was born on May 27th, 1923 in Firth, a city in the Bavaria region of Germany. His mother was Paula Stern, a homemaker who came from a relatively wealthy and prominent family. His father was Louis Kissinger, a teacher. 
Henry Kissinger grew up in an Orthodox Jewish household, and during his youth, he is said to have spent two hours each day diligently studying the Bible as well as the Talmud. I'm guessing we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, if I had to guess, but who knows? When you're going to go on the world stage, maybe he was doing the whole thing. Hard to know. But as we go over this bullet point again, it just dawned on me, uh, wasn't John Kerry married to the Heinz ketchup lady? Wasn't he in there? I wonder if there's a relation. I'm just asking a rhetorical question because I know neither one of us looked. Now, the Talmud is the book of Jewish law, and I think there's more than one of them. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Right, but I'm guessing, you know, in the era when he was very prominent, uh, it would have been the full Bible because you would have had to talk to talk the talk. He's openly Jewish. Uh, I looked up his coat of arms. Uh, there's six pointed stars. There's the flair de lis. That'll have to be another episode. Uh, most of the coats of arms we see, particularly from northern European places, uh, and most people don't know this, but I'm I've put it together here. Um, they're actually priestly symbols from the Temple of Solomon. So many of the symbols on the coats of arms. Uh, we'll probably cover that at, at some point, but there's all kinds of things. There's the Midrash, and of course, as many have caught on, there appears to have been a Jewish religion that was pre-supposedly throwing down the temple and going into bondage. When they came back out of so-called Babylon, uh, seems like a dark shadow came with them, and it was a whole other thing. And by the way, uh, as we've covered recently, and I can't recall the guy's name, maybe you can, one of the guys coming back was noted as a biblical scholar, and he rewrote the Bible at that point when they came back out of captivity. Uh, we can now show that a lot of that was redacted, like the bloodline of Moses is part of what was redacted. Uh, do you remember the guy's name? Ezra. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's Ezra, right, Jason? Yeah, yeah, right. So Ezra comes back and writes, but we're kind of getting off track here. That's another episode that we'll have to cover at some point. From the website, myjewishlearning.com, the Talmud, which translates literally to study, is the generic term for the documents that comment and expand upon the Mishnah, which means repeating, the first work of rabbinic law published around the year 200 CE by Rabbi Judah the Patriarch in the land of Israel. Now, this is part of what we see going on. Um, there are a lot of people from Israel, actually, you can go look up channels on YouTube where they are claiming that the real Jewish religion has been kind of hijacked by the rabbinic ideas. And for my part, I say this is what came back out of Babylon, uh, where they kind of stepped away from these ancient things that they apparently had and brought some kind of dark side of the force thing with them in it. It's the rabbinic ideas. Uh, and you see a lot of people in Israel commiserating on this as well. But again, uh, these things are, are wholly a different episode, and it, it becomes touchy. Um, if you say anything like like the Talmud, man, there are some things in the Talmud that when you read it, it feels like you've been punched in the nose. And you got to wonder, um, there's these ideas of anti-Semitism and all these things, but some of the things written in there are beyond the pale uh, in their kind of disregard for other races. Um, but you know, we know what happens if we talk very much about those things. It'll just be pulled right down. As a child, it is said that Kissinger encountered anti-Semitism on a daily basis. He was an avid soccer fan and defied laws that banned Jews from professional sporting events. He attended matches and received several beatings at the hands of stadium guards. 
He and his friends were also said to be regularly abused by local gangs of Nazi youth. These experiences are said to have made a lasting impression on Henry Kissinger. All right. Do I, do I even need to comment on what this is? This is propaganda. Everything we know about World War II, in my mind at this point, was propaganda. The one thing, and you can't talk about it because people are so utterly programmed into the narrative that they've been told. Um, this is one of the best rebranding schematics that's ever gone in our world, the way people think about World War II. But I'll tell you one thing, and it's to me, it's the most important thing. Before World War II, there was no central bank in Germany. After World War II, there was a central bank in Germany. If you knew nothing else, that would be the thing to know from my point of view. The young Kissinger was said to be a shy, introverted child who loved books. Kissinger excelled at the local Jewish school and was said to have dreamed of attending the gymnasium, which was a prestigious state-run high school. By the time he was old enough to apply, the school had stopped accepting Jews. With the attitude towards Jews in Germany getting very grim, the family decided to flee to first London, but then the United States in 1938, settling in the Washington Heights section of Upper Manhattan in New York City. Kissinger was 15 years old at the time, and the family became part of the German-Jewish community there. Kissinger worked in a shaving brush factory during the day to help supplement the poor family's income and attended New York's George Washington High School at night. He is said to have learned English at remarkable speed and excelled in all of his studies. Kissinger graduated from high school in 1940 and then continued his education at the City College of New York, where he studied to become an accountant. Yeah, pretty impressive, huh? City college, accountant, look where he went. Uh, it's all a bit much. But, you know, when I, when I was young, my father took me to see Fiddler on the Roof. And I remember asking him, my father was among the most educated men I've ever known. I asked him, why are these people being picked on for no good reason? I was very young at the time, and he endeavored to explain it. And when I got older, I went to look. And one thing that I found is some of the things written in the Torah are just flat offensive. And that was part of what people didn't dig about this culture. But more than anything, you can go through so many countries in Europe where you're told these people were booted out of this country or that. It was almost all to do with banking. There are other reasons, but unfortunately in hour one, if we even mention them, we know what will, be, what will happen. But it's crazy to look at this because we have these words and these ideas like this one group of people, if you say anything about them, um, there's going to be hell to pay. And when you look at that on the face, well, why, why wouldn't that be any group of people? Why is it so specific to this group of people? And that's what got me looking. And what I found was that in the Torah, there are some flat out just offensive things. And I don't think anyone could defend them. And what actually happens is if you bring these things up, you get labeled anti-Semite and all these other things. Um, but the banking practices is what I found as a common thread through so many places where back in the day when there were real kings and queens, apparently they tried to run them out of town. Kissinger was drafted into the army in 1943 as World War II was now in full bloom. He received his basic training at Camp Croft in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He became a naturalized citizen on June 19, 1943, while still stationed in South Carolina. The Army originally had sent him to study engineering at Lafayette College, Pennsylvania, but the program was canceled, with Kissinger being reassigned to the 84th Infantry Division. It had been five years since Kissinger had left Germany, 
and now he was back there again, this time fighting the Nazi regime his family had fled from. At first, he served as a rifleman in France. He made the acquaintance of Fritz Kramer, another Jewish immigrant from Germany, who took note of his intellect and his fluency in German. Fritz Kramer was said to arrange for Kissinger to be assigned to military intelligence. There it is. <laughs> Kissinger is said to have seen combat with this division and is also said to have volunteered for hazardous intelligence duties during the Battle of the Bulge. Okay. You know, this is dicey in an hour one, Jason, but it's almost like you can take any A-list actor, any rock star, and there's those common threads, right? And for, for what we're about to cover in politics, the military intelligence, there's a couple other places that are going to have to come into, into play. Uh, unfortunately, for running this to everyone openly, what I will say is all the world's a stage and all the human beings are just players on that stage, aren't they? Well, as soon as you start seeing things like military intelligence involved with anyone, well, you just don't know anymore. Well, what's funny is we've done so much work on H.G. Wills. Most people have no idea the important role uh, in world events that some of these early sci-fi writers. But I mean, it's it's almost unbelievable when you draw the threads out. Um, but if you were knowing what you know from what we've covered, if you were going to talk about H.G. Wells, would you call him an author or something else? At this point, I would say author was the least of what he was about. I would say that's what he did to the public appearance. Right. But again, you see the military intelligence uh, in and about Tavistock, uh, circles of royalty, it goes on and on and on. Uh, there's a thread. These people have a common thread some point in the future, we're going to draw the lines to those threads. And I'll drop a hint now. It looks to me like it came from 24 families um, all the way back, as back as far as we can see. So far back that what we're reading about is basically myth incorporated as some kind of history. During the American advance into Germany, Kissinger was only a private. However, <laughs> he was put in charge of the administration of the city of Krefeld, as there was a lack of German speakers on the division's intelligence staff. Within eight days, Kissinger had established a civilian administration. He was then reassigned to the Counterintelligence Corps, or the CIC, where he became a CIC special agent and held the enlisted rank of sergeant. He was given charge of a team in Hanover, and was assigned to tracking down Gestapo officers and other saboteurs, for which he was awarded the Bronze Star. In June of 1945, Kissinger was made Commandant of the Bensheim Metro CIC Detachment, Berkstrasse District of Hesse, with the responsibility of denazifying the district. He possessed absolute authority and powers of arrest, but Kissinger was said to take care to avoid abuses against the local population by his command. In 1945, the army awarded him a Bronze Star. In 1946, Kissinger was reassigned to teach at the European Command School at Camp King in Germany. Afterwards, as a civilian employee following his separation from the army, he continued to serve in this role. Now let's just sing a song, oh poppycock, oh poppycock, privates don't run nothing. Uh, I served in the Marine Corps, and there's problems with this, isn't there, on the face of it. First of all, we're told he went to college. Very few people who went to college were not officers um, in World War II. 
that was one of the one of the marks. If you were an educated person, had college behind you, you were probably coming in. You you weren't coming in as a private. Let's put it that way. And sure as God made little green apples, a private was not given run of any city anywhere for anything. And if they were, what we saw were field advancements in World War II, which are well-sided all over the place. In other words, you've served distinguishedly. You're no longer a private. Guess what? Now you're a staff sergeant. It could be a jump like that. Um, But even a staff sergeant is not running a damn city um, it's not the way the military works. And, uh, you know, we could ask little joke questions like, what's denazifying? Does that mean they're untying all the knots? Um, but by the time they get up to giving him the bronze star, you can see the backstory that's coming to be there. And they refer, after they brush over the fact that he's a private, they reference his command a number of times in this tale. I'm not buying. doesn't work that way. Over the course of his time serving in World War II, Henry Kissinger abandoned his original plan to become an accountant. (laughs) He instead decided that he wanted to become an academic with a focus on political history. In 1947, upon returning to the United States, he was admitted to Harvard University to complete his undergraduate coursework. Kissinger earned his Bachelor of the Arts degree in political science, summa cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa, in 1950. He was living in Adams House, studying under William Yandel Elliott, American historian and political advisor to six U.S. presidents. Kissinger's senior thesis, completed for his degree in 1950, was a 383-page tome that tackled a vast subject matter, The Meaning of History, the full title of which was The Meaning of History, Reflections on Spengler, Toynbee, and Kant. It became Harvard lore that his daunting manuscript, which was considered unrefined but brilliant, prompted the university to impose a rule limiting the length of future theses. This last part, called the Kissinger Rule, is often considered to be a myth. All right, I'll take this backwards. The meaning of history in the tome he wrote, he cites Spengler and Toynbee. Everyone's seen this little sneaky Toynbee thing that they play on television where there's this mystical dude putting bricks around. Well, let me tell you something about Toynbee. It's a Tavistock special. Uh, The name Toynbee can be associated all day long with Tavistock, which is more openly admitted. But let's be honest about what we see here. We're playing on a ball field, but there is no pitcher. This is T-ball. Okay, what's going on here is T-ball. So he comes back, he's admitted to Harvard, tee it up, and then lo and behold, he's under William Yandel Elliott, an American historian and a political advisor to six U.S. presidents. There it is, man. They're playing T-ball here. From my point of view, this is not a person with talent saying, I'm going to be a famous baseball player. This is a chosen individual playing t-ball where everything is just being teed up one after the other. And by the way, privates don't run cities. In 1951, Henry Kissinger acted as a consultant for the Operations Research Office. The Operations Research Office, or the ORO, was a civilian military research center founded in 1948 by the United States Army. It was run under contract by Johns Hopkins University and is regarded as one of the founding institutes of operations research as an interdisciplinary science. The organization's offices were originally at Fort McNair, Washington, D.C. They moved to Chevy Chase, Maryland in 1952. In 1961, the Army discontinued Johns Hopkins University's contract and the ORO was dissolved. Soon after, 
The Research Analysis Corporation, or the RAC, was founded, which assumed the ORO's projects and most of its employees. The RAC was funded by the Army until June of 1972. You know, it's the subtle things that we can see now, uh, which really tell you so much more than is on the face of it. And people in this walk of life recognize it instantly, I'm sure. But when you go to the ORO, uh, the abbreviation, and, you know, that's another thing. In, in typical school, you're not taught to think of abbreviations. You should always think of abbreviations. Um, and the proof of that is in the logo of any corporation where you say Atlantic Trust and then you'll see AT next to the logo. This tradition of abbreviating things down to its first letter has been in use for a long time and in a way it is a bit like a, 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 a numerology usage if you think about it properly. But the ORO is oro or another name for gold. So the sun is what's being referenced here. And at the base of almost everything that goes on in our world, what you will find is sun worship. There's so much more that I could get in here, but for the sake of time, Jason, I'll just leave it there. Henry Kissinger would go on to receive his MA in 1952. In 1952, while still a graduate student at Harvard, he served as a consultant to the director of the Psychological Strategy Board. The Psychological Strategy Board, or the PSB, was a committee of the United States executive formed to coordinate and plan for psychological operations. It was formed on April 4, 1951, during the Truman administration. The board was composed of the Under Secretary of State, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, and the Director of Central Intelligence, or their designated representatives. Yes, the young Kissinger served on this board. He would go on to receive his Ph.D. from Harvard University in 1954. He would earn his academic tenure at Harvard in 1959. We're playing t-ball here, aren't we? I guess if you're going to be Mr. New World Order further down the timeline, uh, you're going to have to get your psychological strategy board work in. You're going to have to be associated with Truman. You're going to need to have something to do with the deputy of the Secretary of Defense. And of course, above all things, you will need a formal working relationship with the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, this is T-ball all the way through, and this is the acceptable history that we are drawing on here. Henry Kissinger's doctoral dissertation was titled Peace, Legitimacy, and the Equilibrium, a Study of the Statesmanship of Kasselrog and Metternich. In this PhD dissertation, Kissinger first introduced the concept of legitimacy, which he defined as follows. Legitimacy, as used here, should not be confused with justice. It means no more than an international agreement about the nature of workable arrangements and about the permissible aims and methods of foreign policy. An international order accepted by all of the major powers is legitimate, whereas an international order not accepted by one or more of the great powers is revolutionary and, therefore, dangerous. It is interesting to note that Kissinger's general approach to diplomacy on a worldwide scale seems to take it for granted that as long as the decision-makers in the major world states are willing to accept international order, then it qualifies as legitimate to him, with questions of public opinion and morality dismissed as irrelevant. All right, here we are, man. Here's the whole tale of our current existence in the age we are all listening to this show. This is might over right, and this is way back. Uh, early in Kissinger's career, where you can see these guys chomping at the bit 
to let might substitute right. Let's read this again, just so nobody's lost in space. And by the way, look around the world right now. What do you see? You see the implementation of might over right. And for my part, it's overreach like we have never seen. But it remains to be seen what what we're going to walk away from here. But listen to this. This is what Kissinger tries to use words and ideas to justify what's unjustifiable. Legitimacy, as used here, should not be confused with justice. Well, let let me ask a simple question. Can you have legitimacy without justice? If it's not justifiable, how is it legitimate? And that's the little word game that's being played here. And so what he's claiming is that if they can get enough people in powerful positions to vote yes, then suddenly they have legitimacy and justice can be damned. And that's not the way of things. That was never the way of things. And to prove it, they could not do the things they were trying to do until the modern age. They had to creep up till now to start to force what's going on, uh, where they're openly trying to show or implement that might is over right. Right be damned. What's justifiable be damned. If we can finagle or force our way through the door, we're going to do it. And you can see the roots of where we stand right now in this world as rooted here in what, what this man did. And that one sentence says it all. Legitimacy, as used here, should not be confused with justice. And I say to hell with that irresponsible, self-centered reasoning. There's no justifying it from my point of view. Well, this guy's only in his 20s at this point, and he's got his own standards created that will go on to be used for the entire world. Yeah, uh, we're standing in it now, Jason. You see, this is the whole thing. If we go all the way back, you can see these guys chomping at the bit to really, really want to do what the hell they want, but they can't. They can't pull it off in the world that existed back then. The minds are too much higher. People have too big an idea of what's right and wrong. There are moral values within the society that haven't been completely obliterated by movies and TVs and drugs and pharmaceutical countries and companies and crappy food. All that has not yet come to pass. So they can chomp on their bit all they want, but look where it led. We're all standing where it led. And so I'll ask everybody listening, Is legitimacy even a possible thing without justice, or does justice, the idea of justice, trump at all? In other words, are we back to kings and queens? Is that that where we all want to be? A king snaps his fingers and be damned the whole of the world. The king just snapped his fingers. We left those ideas behind a long time ago, and that's really the parallel of what we're talking about here, is these people in positions of power who derive their power from people, from civilization from the communities. That's where their power is derived from. Now it's been flipped on its head. And this is where it began, where they're trying to say, look, we got power now. We don't have to listen to you people or be concerned with giving you justice. If we all agree to this, then we're going to impose it on you. And like I said, back then, you couldn't pull this off openly. Right now, it's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to pull it off openly. Next, let's bring in something that Henry Kissinger is very commonly associated with, and that is Bilderberg. Beginning in 1954, what is called the Bilderberg Meeting is an annual conference that is said to have been established to foster dialogue between Europe and North America. The group's supposed agenda, originally to prevent another world war, is now defined as bolstering a consensus around free market Western capitalism and its interests around the globe. 
Participants include political leaders, experts from industry, finance, academia, and the media, numbering between 120 and 150. Attendees are entitled to use information gained at meetings, but not attribute it to a named speaker. This is to encourage candid debate while maintaining privacy. Meetings were chaired by Prince Bernard of the Netherlands until 1976. The current chairman is Henry de Castries. Henry Kissinger attended his first Bilderberg meeting in 1957 and is listed as having attended many but not all in the years after. Since Henry Kissinger is known to advise many United States politicians, it's obvious where at least some of the orders being given are coming from. So this is all poppycock at a level that it baffles me how these mainstream narratives, which is the acceptable history, have been swallowed so long by historical historians and people teaching political science. Um, these people are talking about a free market in Western capitalism. Look around you right now. This is provable nonsense. A free market abhors monopoly. And yet what has happened under the aegises of groups like the Bilderberg as monopoly has encompassed us at such a level that we can basically at this point say it's all encompassing. Can you find a single channel on your television that is not yelling the same fearful narrative? Can you find a single commercial? The reason for that is, is we don't have a free market or what used to be called Western capitalism. What we have is overarching groups like the Bilderbergs who are sitting on the boards of numerous corporations, the people that make up these places, and they control everything below them. We've done shows to show that between two and five groups of human beings that are involved with places like the Bilderbergs own all information systems. And when we say all, we mean with a capital letter A, all. We're talking music, we're talking movies, we're talking television, we're talking papers, we're talking all of it. And so the claim being made here is provably on its face fictitious. There is no free market. What's happened is they screamed free market as they built the largest monopoly ever known on the face of this world. And when we start to show how many people attend these meetings, so 120 to 150 people who are not elected, which is the, the beauty from their point of view of things like the Bilderbergs. These are just people with power who decided to take more power. And this is what we're facing. At this very moment, places like this have created what we're facing. In 1954, Henry Kissinger publishes his first book titled A World Restored, Metternich, Castlereagh, and the Problems of Peace, 1812 to 1822. The book was based off of his previously mentioned doctoral thesis. He is said to have written the book to understand and explain one of history's most important and dramatic periods, a time when Europe went from political chaos to a balanced peace that lasted for almost a hundred years. After the fall of Napoleon, European diplomats gathered in a festive Vienna with the task of restoring stability following the French Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, and the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire. The peace that was brokered lasted until the outbreak of World War I. 
through trenchant analysis of the history and forces that create stability, a world restored gives insight into how to create long-lasting geopolitical peace lessons that Kissinger saw as applicable to the period immediately following World War II when he was writing this book. But the lessons don't stop there. Like all good insights, the book's wisdom transcends any single political period. Kissinger's understanding of coalitions and balance of power can be applied to personal and professional situations, such as dealing with a tyrannical boss or coworker, or formulating business or organizational tactics. All right, since they have the nuggets to bring up Napoleon, Napoleon, let's quote him. Napoleon informed us all, history is a lie agreed upon, and that's what's being leveraged here. And you go ahead and show me a hundred years of peace anywhere. Even though much of the world's a stage, there's always these conflicts that have been leveraged up to do this, that, or the other thing. But when you start to talk about the, the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, let me tell you something. It was neither holy nor Roman, this empire that history likes to tell its tales about. And we will be coming back at some point. I will show um, to the best of my ability, and I've worked years on this, to show how Rome quit being this mythical thing called the ancient Roman Empire and became the Vatican. And people's heads will spin. It was neither holy nor Roman. It was taken apart from the inside in much the same way. Uh, the world is attemptedly being taken apart right now. Uh, these these histories, it's almost like what we're facing now in the world had to come because in the information age, all these long floated fictions were no longer going to float because we can see further now. We can go over and over and over the information and realize this is not acceptable. So much of it is not acceptable down to the descriptions of our world. And I think that's part of the underlying reason uh, everything we see in the world is going on because there was going to come a point reasonably soon when so many of the fictions were just going to fall to the floor. And everything Jason just read is a damn fiction. It's nonsense. And the one thing that's always got me, you know, you mentioned the French Revolution. At some point, I want to dig into that and try to understand better, better whether that was as described or something else altogether. Well, we do have this odd period in the 1700s with the French Revolution, this supposed Bavarian Illuminati, and the forming of the United States. So there's a lot of interesting things to dig into there. Well, the interesting thing about the French Revolution is if it truly was a grassroots uprising, which it is billed as, and it went down in that way, then you saw a lot of power players' heads get spun around exorcist style because all of a sudden uh, they got dragged out of their chateaus. But like all of history, I'm not convinced just because I read that in a book. I need to go take it apart. I need to do what we always do. Look at the story. Look at the narrative. Look at the, you know, detect the fiction that's been floated for so long. Our minds are a bit higher than they were in the 60s. A bit less moral. We've lost our family unit. We've lost a lot of morality. We've been subject to so much kind of unthinkable things that... Things that we wouldn't have accepted back then have been normalized. But nonetheless, what we do have right now is a lot better eyesight. I mean, it's 2020 compared to what we were doing nearsighted back in the day. From 1954 and lasting until 1971, Henry Kissinger was a member of the faculty of Harvard University. Starting in 1954, he joined the faculty as an instructor, becoming professor of government in 1962. 
He was also part of the Center for International Affairs, where he was Associate Director from 1957 to 1960. He served as Director of the Harvard International Seminar from 1951 to 1971, and as Director of the Harvard Defense Studies Program from 1958 to 1971. Wow. You know, I, I just don't know what to add here. I guess if you're from the right family in Bavaria and such, um, you're going to play t-ball your whole life. It's going to be one thing after the other teed up. And then the history that's written is going to weave this narrative that, you know, a working class boy makes good. Uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not buying. Well, at this point, he's involved with all these organizations that deal with things all over the world. And it's obvious where his path is heading. Right. Uh, it's, it's no mystery. You can look at one association to the next. I mean, they're even trying to tell us he's a private. Oh, here, you, you can speak German. You're in charge of this town. It's not the way it works. It's never been the way it works. A private is a private. That is the lowest rung. And if anybody who hasn't served in the military, it is entirely hierarchical. The whole premise for the military um, and a private is not giving orders to a sergeant, and that's what's being implied there. And you can see the, the false history being woven together, and you can see it's like steps of a staircase. It starts here, and then here's the next step. Lo and behold, you're at Harvard. Lo and behold, you're being taught by the guy who administered the six presidents. Lo and behold, you've got a relationship with the director of the CIA. And lo and, you know, it's just one after the other. It's like a little staircase, and then they weave the narrative uh, that's supposed to be the acceptable history. And I think it's high time we begin to question uh, these people who are going to come and inform us that clearly we need a new world order. Well, who the hell are you? And where the hell did you come from? And what have you been about? And by the way, do you recall that any authority, any government in the modern age is willing to admit derives its authority from the people? Every president that I know of to date has swore allegiance to the Constitution. Now, they've done this in underhanded ways, but it goes to show the problem at hand. For this kind of new world we see emerging where might is going to be over what is right, things like the Constitution will have to be formally buried. Um, and I think that bears thinking about on a lot of levels. If, if they want to do this, why can't they just do whatever they want to do? You see, it all has to be sneakily implemented with all these backstories. It never ends. In 1955, Henry Kissinger was a consultant to the National Security Council's Operations Coordinating Board. The Operations Coordinating Board, or the OCB, was a committee of the United States Executive created in 1953 by President Eisenhower's Executive Order 10483 and tasked with oversight of United States covert operations. Eisenhower simultaneously gave secret instructions specifying additional functions for the new entity. The board, which reported to the National Security Council, was responsible for integrating the implementation of national security policies across several agencies. An important part of its mandate was to act as the president's coordinating committee for the most incendiary secret foreign policy actions, such as covert operations. Well, what points like this show is we were asleep at the wheel. We had moral values. We had a family unit. Mostly in 1955, we had all these things going for us. But unfortunately, another thing we had was trust and pride in our country. Nobody was suspecting that they needed to do oversight. 
And now we can look backwards with 2020 vision and we can say, OCB, count the ways. Go ahead, count the ways. And if 2001 comes to, to mind, you have counted the ways correctly all the way back in 55. Um, and then they're doing things like United States covert operations. I guess everybody at the time was thinking, oh, we're doing this to someone else, which goes to show what violation of the golden rule will get you. Like, how can you be okay with things like this as long as it's being done to someone else? Well, guess what? It's being done to all of us now. Someone needed to stand up back then and say, what the hell is this covert operations? And by the way, is any of this constitutional? And I don't think anyone asked that question since probably 1932 in any meaningful way, because I'm guessing anyone who knows anything about that document that all the presidents still kind of swear allegiance to would find that none of this is constitutional. Um, go ahead. Just the word covert alone should say this is not a thing anyone should take pride in. This is the misuse of, of authority. From the website CFR.org. The Council on Foreign Relations, or the CFR, is an independent, nonpartisan membership organization, think tank, and publisher dedicated to being a resource for its members, government officials, business executives, journalists, educators and students, civic and religious leaders, and other interested citizens in order to help them better understand the world and the foreign policy choices facing the United States and other countries. Founded in 1921, CFR takes no institutional positions on matters of policy. Our goal is to start a conversation in this country about the need for Americans to better understand the world. After the difficult negotiations of the 1919 Paris Peace Conference, a group of diplomats, financiers, generals, and lawyers concluded that Americans needed to be better prepared for significant responsibilities and decision-making in world affairs. With this in mind, they founded the Council on Foreign Relations in 1921 to afford a continuous conference on international questions affecting the United States by bringing together experts on statecraft, finance, industry, education, and science. Well, uh... I mean, come on, man. 1919, this begins. Count the ways. It's like a uh, it's like a bad joke that never quits. You don't have to look for to find the common denominator. And what's the CFR for? To help the world, America, better understand the world that they are creating. Are the words that was left off the end of that sentence? But how many people understand the first president? If I was to ask, who was the first president to start stacking American government? with CFR members, what would you say? Would you be surprised to learn that that was Jimmy Carter? Remember that guy they painted as a weenie? Uh, he's just doing his bit like every other one that's followed him. He started it and it picked up steam after that. But let's ask, who voted for the council? Who votes for the members of CFR who have all this power over policy, over governments, over just about every damn thing? And you can see the problem. A similar thing was recently done to Europe. Um, who 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 devises and votes for uh, European Union people and the laws and the rules and I, can, I don't even know what to call them that are made there. And this has been a trend and you can see here, count the ways, it started in 1919 where they were actively undermining the idea of a constitutional government all the way back then. Ah, we're tired of people voting. We're tired of having to ask permission for those we're supposed to be serving. We're just going to 
coerce our way till we have so much power no one can stop us. Look around. This is what so much power no one can stop us looks like. Maybe. We will see. This also seems like a place where people can get talking points given to them so they can go and disseminate it out into the rest of society. Oh, it's provable at this point. How many times, you know, it's harder these days on YouTube because there is no more free information in the public realm. I wonder why that is. Does somebody in a place of power own the the reins of YouTube, I wonder? Uh, But how many times did we see back in the day, Jason, someone would put together 50 to 70 clips of news talking heads saying the same thing? Uh, In past episodes, we've drawn the lines. Where did those talking points come from? CFR would be in that lineup at some points, but it's exactly right. This is what monopoly gets you, and this is what monopoly looks like. Screaming free markets, screaming all these things that are false. What this basically is, is monopolizing power, which we're facing now. It's happened. Here it is. Also from CFR.org, Henry A. Kissinger has been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations since 1956 and served as a member of its board of directors from 1977 until 1981. That's two major elite organizations that Kissinger has been a part of since the 1950s. Now it's no longer T-ball, this professional T-ball. But anyhow, it's it's just kind of astonishing uh, that the big world players, almost to a person, it's literally like they're just walking up a flight of stairs that was custom built for them. It never ends. And what's more astonishing is if you look at who they are, what their genealogy is, where did they come from, there's a common thread. And if you talk about that common thread, it's enough to get you censored get strikes placed on you on YouTube, but I don't even need to say it. That's how common it is. Everybody or the vast majority of everybody listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. And the last point from CFR.org, Kissinger's long association with CFR began in the mid-1950s when, as a young scholar, he took a year's leave from the Harvard faculty to work as a Carnegie Research Fellow at the Harold Pratt House alongside CFR scholars directing a study group which focused on the impact of revolutionary changes in weapons on U.S. foreign policy. The resulting book, Nuclear Weapons and Foreign Policy, was published in 1957 and earned him a national reputation, making it onto the list of national bestsellers. Kissinger went on to publish 12 articles in foreign affairs before entering government been a lot of work done to show what it takes to be on the New York bestsellers list. Um, It's wholly fabricated, isn't it? People for a long time, even up into the modern era, thought, oh, if I could get lucky and write a good book, not the way it works. It's a stacked deck like everything else in our world. And by the way, you can be bought into that list. But what's astonishing now is like back in the day when these things were going on in the 50s and 60s, the average American was proud of things like Carnegie Carnegie Research Fellow and the Harold Pratt House and the CFR, how great America is. But now with hindsight, we see what was going on. And, you know, I don't want to say the obvious, but how freaking blind have we been as a country to have watched all this go on and no one making any meaningful questioning of what's been happening. And it was always done in the same way. Like part of this is about nuclear weapons. Go ahead on YouTube and look back through the 60s and the 70s and look at all the hippies smoking dope with their peace signs saying, please don't use nuclear weapons. It was always some little insignificant side thing that people were coerced to participating, thinking that they were protesting at some level that mattered. 
and almost never did the court system get used. Did constitutional scholars stand up in a meaningful way, um, although a lot of times they tried. But here we are now. The result of all that is what has brought us to this. And I will say one more time, what we're facing is the idea, the, the exact opposite of what the King Arthur myth is about. The King Arthur myth uh, told so many times to put pride in a human mind is that might does not make right. Here's this great king, Arthur, and he aligned himself with the land to the point where if the king's not healthy, the land's not healthy. And he made these laws so even the little person who's not the strongest will get a fair shake. And these are the tales we've been told our whole life. But what in fact has been going on is might has been making right to the point where they don't give a damn about the people who they derive their authority from in the first place. That's all been thrown out the window now. And what we're covering here are the roots of all that. But do we have time to, to get any more points into hour one here? Yeah, let's do this last one. And indeed, in 1957, Henry Kissinger released his second book, the aforementioned Nuclear Weapons and Foreign Policy. The information for the book came from the previous point, mentioning his being the study director in nuclear weapons and foreign policy at the CFR in 1955 and 1956. A description of this book from the Hoover Institution states as follows. This book is the template of U.S. nuclear weapons policy since the Kennedy administration, as well as of how the U.S. government has conducted war since Vietnam published by the Council on Foreign Relations as the report of a high-level working group, it was the Democratic Party's intellectual attack on the Eisenhower administration's policy of responding to Soviet aggression by means and at places of our choosing. Whereas Eisenhower had aimed to prevent U.S. involvement in conflicts on the Soviet empire's periphery, Kissinger advocated and subsequent administrations emphasized helping U.S. allies to resist aggression locally. All right, you know, scream fear, scream aggression, scream anything you want, but let's get back to common sense, which has allowed us to see so well in the modern age. Because without common sense, you don't see well. And what that basically means is if you're coerced into buying into, I'm proud of this, or I like that, or I believe this, common sense really goes out the window. Because those are decisions made and they're very rarely undone. But let's ask a simple problem or simple question. So all this nuclear stuff, they're going to write a book and that's going to become the working template for supposed nukes. And it's created by the foreign policy at the CFR. So let's ask a simple question. What about checks and balances? Does anyone remember back to junior high school where there's an exen executive, a ju judiciary, remember all the checks and balances put on the president and how the government was supposedly set up to prevent tyranny? Well, what the hell is this? Who voted the CFR in? Who gave the authority for the CFR to write books on how nations would supposedly use supposed nuclear weapons? How is it that we could have slept through this open, blatant undermining of the checks and balances that each of us was taught about in school. And I'm not suggesting that the system we were taught was the perfect system, but let me tell you something, it's a far cry from what we are all facing at this very minute where the idea that somehow people in authority serve for the, the good of all, that's been out, thrown out the window. And these kinds of things is what started it. Who the hell, who the hell elected the CFR? Who gave them the authority to write books on how weapons would be used by a nation? 
Isn't that what the checks and balances and the branches of government and the Constitution and all these things that were written when there were actually living men and women in the world? Um, how did that get thrown out so easy? We need to look back and we need to recognize what we lost and we need to question how in the hell did this happen? Because we're all going to pay the price now at some level. Anyhow, Jason, that's bringing us to the top of hour one for 219. Uh, anything you want to get in before I begin to wrap up? Well, needless to say, we're only in the 1950s, and we have a long way to go with just how much Henry Kissinger was involved with government and world politics for the rest of his life, because he still does it till today. Yeah, he's, he's in his 90s, and he's still flapping his gum somewhere in the world, and it's carrying weight with all the people that are so proud that might is now trumping right to make a joke, a pun as I say this. But I'll, I'll tell you what, Jason. This whole first hour was difficult. Uh, it would have almost been easier to run entire, the entirety of this episode an hour two so that we could say the things that need to be said. But we're in a new world now, aren't we? Um, and we're going to have to face up to some hard realities. And um, I, I guess I'll leave it there. So that'll be the first hour of 219. We're going to bring our free speech for the second hour of 219. We hope you'll join us at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. That is the only real Crow site in the world. There are a number of fraud sites, which should also tell you something about the world we live in when people just want to have an honest discussion and try to work out some things that matter in the world and try to bring common sense back to bear, there's going to be these kind of fungus ground-dwelling creatures that try to undermine it. And that's what the fraud sites are doing. So again, the only true crow site is crow777radio.com. We hope you'll join us there because we will open up both barrels in hour two and say the things that need to be said. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.